Hey everybody, this is Kendra. And this is April. And you are listening to Nocturnal Distractions. What up everybody? Lots of nothing. Nothing's up? I do have some news right now. You do? Well, a couple of people I wanted to shout out. Um, If you guys have not listened to Evil Pudding Podcast, you should check them out. Uh, It's a husband and wife team. And they're pretty hilarious. Husband gets really worked up about stuff. Reminds me of my co-host. <laughs> I just dropped the F-bomb. Oh, yeah. He's a ex-law enforcement, so it's really funny. Okay. And she said that she's never seen him get as worked up about anything. True crime stuff that she's telling him. So, oh, like, it's kind of like she's kind of more reserved like I am. And he's like, the fuck? Oh, he's kinda so he's a me. Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. Pretty much. And then the other one is Dark Tales from the Road. Which okay. is really cool. And she goes um, state by state and finds like a, just like a dark, mysterious tale. And she kind of gives like a history of the state and then a history of whatever town it takes place in. And it's that one's pretty cool one too. Nice. They're ones that I definitely have to catch up on when I go. I'm going to Sturgis's week and i've got like a seven hour drive mm-hmm. one way it's like 14 hours like both ways that i'm catching up on all these new podcasts that i've been wanting to listen to for the last two months that i've found out about and i haven't been able to because it's really hard to listen to a true crime podcast when i'm trying to work on a true crime podcast so you're about to get crazy on some like podcast yeah yeah because I'm the only one in my car, and I've got control over what I listen to. <laughs> so it's going to be you, the open road, and some podcasting. Well, I got to try to keep up with people on motorcycles, but pretty much, yeah. <laughs> because I go to the freaking speed limit, five over at the most, and I know that that's not going to happen with the other people. No. So that's why I'm like, I've got it all mapped out where we're stopping and everything. Because I know that it's just, yep. Yep. But hey, I don't have to eat bugs. They have to eat bugs. (gasps) Oh, yeah, because they're on the motorcycles. I'm like, what happens at Sturges? I just thought it was boobies and drinking and bikes, right? I I think there's that. I've never been there. I know you haven't. That's why my mom was like, have fun, question mark. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know whether to be excited or terrified right now ah. quite honestly um so that'll be that'll be interesting but point is my seven hour journey up there will be in an air-conditioned car so i don't have to worry about bugs or windburn or sunburn or hot weather or wind or dirt or all of the above oh shit i'm cool with that i'll ride the bike when we're up there but I'm not riding on a motorcycle that whole way. Like, no, I'll drive the car. Right. You know, your butt's going to start hurting. Well, that is just, that's just a long way of yeah. riding. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be fun. It's going to be, you and Brian are going to have a really good time. And you're going with a couple, which is awesome. Yeah. It'll and be, like I said, it'll out of be your comfort zone. an experience. I'm jealous. There's a little part of me that's jealous. I always wanted to go to Sturgis. There's a little part of me that's terrifying. Right, I want to get a tattoo at Sturges. Sure, I don't want to do that either. I don't know. I don't know because I just don't know. I don't know what to expect. 
I think. I think I have like one idea in my mind. But it's not one that's going to make or break. You're not going to be like, oh my God, this is not what I thought. No, and I hate it. it's one of those things where like, I know there's going to be like the bikers that like literally bring their bikes up in a trailer because they're old. Mm-hmm. So you'd have those ones and then you're going to have like the really gnarly looking ones. And I know I'm going to see some like boobs that I don't want to see. And I'm going to see like, <laughs> and I'm going to see women wearing clothing that they should not be wearing that's a true statement but then you're also going to see women who are wearing their clothing properly well yes that too i'm not a lesbian there's nothing wrong with it but boobies are boobies and butts are butts and that's just that well and sometimes i don't want to see somebody's butt no or boobs no because it's just all wrong the woman's body is beautiful and we're going to start going into different territories and so i'm just going to ixnay on this like topic right now because i can go on forever but anyway so like i said i just i don't know what to expect which is good in a way sort of but it also makes me anxious i think you're gonna have fun it's different you and brian have been going on a lot more like you guys things which is kind of cool i don't know everybody so i'm gonna let you in on kendra and brian he's (laughs) military okay he's military and he is um everything has its place Right? Routine. And it's order and his routine and he wakes up at a certain time and he does his coffee and everything he eats his oatmeal. Everything's the same. Everything's the same. And then you have Kendra. Ha. Wait a minute. Her style is eclectic. She's my little hippie lover. And I guess that's what you would call it. Now everybody's got to categorize something, right? Um, I she have no sleeps routine. until whenever she wants to and she stays up until whenever she wants to. And breakfast sometimes is a popsicle and dinner is cereal and she likes glitter. And she and does is not. not a routine kind of person. So it's a beautiful combination of things, right? He likes to travel. She's cool with just her humble abode. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, but the way they, they, they're opposite, but they're so beautifully opposite. They teach each other stuff. It's a wonderful journey. And I love them. They're going to move in together. That's the end goal. But first they got to go to Sturgis. Apparently. <laughs> I was kind of like told that I was going, but not in like a bad way. It was more along the lines of like, hey, you're going next year. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's next year. And here it is. <laughs> and here we are. Usually so, he brings her back like a shirt. That's all yeah. like, there are some pants. Well, he, he tries to bring her, her back. ass. He likes her ass, you know. And so now you get to go pick it out yourself. That's true. Give me something like what you're wearing right now. Just a normal shirt that just is awesome. Just a shirt. Why does you hear people? Why can't people just have normal effing shirts? I don't it's know. It's got to be low cut look, or crop I, look, top. I tried or, to ask oh. my daughter this, right? I'm like, why do you keep paying full price for half of a shirt? Uh, like, what happens to the people who want a full shirt? Right? Like, they don't exist. Why? Because of all the stuff is high waisted. So technically, their shirts like reach their pants, but that's because they're all mom jeans. Right. And what, I mean, and then the shirts have to be like, got to have flowers on it, or it's got to have a design or it's got to be this. I just want to wear a fucking shirt. I want to walk out of my house with a shirt. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. black tees. I'd rock them all day long, but you, you know, can't find it anymore. and even no. if you never, yeah. And I'd rather do a man, a men's black shirt yeah. because the women all the do same. weird shit. Yeah. Like swans and the material's different and they all fit different. Okay, we're going to get off of this. Yeah, I just want me some regular shirts. We're going to go back onto the podcast. So what do you have for us We also We also have stickers ordered that we should be getting in soon and a Patreon page coming up as soon as we get, I think, the stickers and stuff. 
that's all coming soon. Woo! That's fun. All right. So we are still continuing on with the um, case of Mary Beth Tinning. Um, and trigger warning, this episode does deal with the death of children. Just putting that out there. Um, recap of last episode. We gave Mary Beth's background in her childhood up to her marriage. And the gist of the story is she has had nine children that she killed, supposedly. Allegedly. Allegedly. She only has admitted like three of them, but it's pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. One of those so this episode, or this part, I should say, because... This is, there's, I don't know how many parts this is going to be. So this is part two. And it covers the deaths of her first three children. And it also covers like the incident that is considered to be like the catalyst to the beginning of Mary Beth's like desire to kill her next children from that oh. point on. So what I'm going to do is start with not necessarily the child that was born first, but I'm going to start with the child that was the catalyst that kind of started everything off. I'm going to start with the one that was born third, but died first. That makes sense. You'll, was it'll, it'll the make third, sense. but died. Yes. Okay. So this is her third born child, but it's also the first child that has, that will have died. So we'll get into this whole thing. So we're going to talk about Jennifer first, who is born December 26, 1971. And she passed away January 3rd, 1972 at one week old. Mm -hmm. And Mary Beth at this time was about 28 years old. Okay. Um, like I said, we're going to jump forward a bit here in time because the start of Mary Beth's issues begin with the death of her third child, Jennifer. Uh, prior to Jennifer's birth, she had given birth to Barbara in May of 1967 when she was about 24 years old. And then she had a son, Joseph, in January of 1970 when she was about 27 years old. But like I said, we're going to start with the third child, Jennifer. So going back to like her pregnancy, in mid-October of her pregnancy when she was about seven months long, her father actually died really suddenly. Um, he was 54 and he had a severe heart attack while he was on his job at the General Electric plant. He was rushed to the hospital where he had another heart attack and died within a few days. Um, this was like a terrible shock to the family in general because it was really sudden. And even though Mary Beth didn't have the best relationship with them, like she's still her father. And so she was really grief stricken from this um at the like funeral she sat in the reception room and like just wept bitterly so and she's seven months pregnant at this time so that's stressful in general so that happened and then 10 weeks later on december 26 she gave birth to jennifer um, after so much stress, edna tinning who was her mother-in-law was not at all surprised when her daughter-in-law Wind up, winds up losing this baby. Mary Beth seemingly had known for months that there was something wrong with the child. Jennifer had hemorrhagic meningitis with multiple brain abscesses, an infection which appeared so early in life that it was believed to have developed while in uterus. 
Mary Beth's description of the cause of death, that the baby was full of cancer, because that's what she would tell people later on, was inaccurate, but it conveyed the hopelessness of her condition. Like, there was no, there wasn't really anything they could do. And like, now, was it her first Third baby? child. Third child. Okay. Yep. Okay, that's so um, Jennifer winds up being the only tinning child who had obviously died from natural causes. Like that's, there's Didn't no leave the hospital. That. Yeah. Cause her multiple brain abscesses, abscesses were of such severity that there was no mistaking them. Um, she only lived for a week and never left St. Clair's hospital. So consequently Mary Beth was never suspected in any way responsible for that death. But that's like the only one of her children that they know for sure died of natural causes okay um and within the family mary beth seemed to take jennifer's death more calmly than she had her father's however at saint Clair's hospital some of the medical staff described her reaction as bizarre and her demeanor as troubling a nurse who was on duty at the time described her as a very disturbed person mm -hmm. uh, but it never really specifies like why they felt that or what she did, did to too. make them feel that way or feel that way. Cause like I said, it's not like she did anything just like in high school. Yeah. Like she was just odd. Uh, she was something just... like just the way she, I don't know if it was just the way that like she reacted to her death. Cause like, it was obviously like she did not do anything to cause this death. So right. it had to have been something with like how she reacted. I'm not even sure. Hmm. So, also, along with this, you have to realize this is back in, like, the 1970s, basically. And there was no psychological support provided for her during this emotional crisis. Okay, okay. Um, despite the fact that she was going home afterwards to care for two small children, it would be another... I didn't know the flash was on. <laughs> Are you taking secret pictures? Of me? I was trying to take secret pictures of you, but clearly that was a bust. That was not a secret picture at all. Wow. That was the greatest thing ever. Well, once I regained my eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go, go on. I'll secret bomb you some other time. Fuck. Anyway. Anywho. It would be another decade before even a few maternity hospitals began to pilot programs to help mothers through the grief of losing their babies. <laughs> this, is, this is a serious subject and I'm fucking laughing. Okay. So, so anyway, grief. I mean, up in, like at this point and up until like the 1980s, like there was nothing in maternity hospitals to help mothers who lost their babies oh, shit. like during birth like there wasn't anything in place at all uh before that point there was a widespread attitude that the less the tragedy was talked about the sooner the woman was likely to get over it so they just ignored it because they didn't know what the fuck was going on and you're a woman and you should just well, handle it yeah they just thought well if we just ignore it and not talk about it it'll go away which right. is kind of how they felt about all mental health stuff back then right um and more than 15 years later, while Mary Beth was in prison for murdering her last child, she recalled how she felt when Jennifer died and that there was nothing to help me. Nothing. Right. Just that helpless feeling. So, I mean, that could have played into what is to come to. 
It just, that sounds like a sad existence. Like she's like, my life fucking sucks. I really probably don't even want to be married to this man, but it's my only option. Like I have no support. My baby just passed away. Like nobody's like going to come and Father passed away. Me. My baby just passed away. Like right. I'm not given any like, and I don't have support. any friends outside of you know what I mean. Oh, kind of like type of thing. Yeah, doesn't mean so you get like, to fucking kill your kids. Yeah, but. that's it. Like you can feel bad for her like right now, but you won't. In a little bit. So at Jennifer's funeral in the first week of the new year, there was tremendous sympathy for her. This set a pattern for all the funerals that were to follow, basically. Jennifer's coffin was left open until the burial service displaying the sight of the tiny baby. Mm. Um, by this time, compared to at her father's funeral, Mary Beth had better control of herself. She had kind of a dazed and glazed look in her eyes, which I kind of understand. And she wept a little. But women friends noted that, or she wept a little more than at later funerals for her children. So she wept more at Jennifer's than she did at any of her other ones. And they kind of commented that um, if it had been them, they would have buried Jennifer quietly and cried forever. Mary Beth did neither, but still recovering from childbirth, she must have just felt, I mean, she had all those hormones after you give birth anyway, going through her, not to mention, like, just losing your father and your kid. And, like, it seems, right, and, like, say we go with the whole, like, her dad is pretty strict, Mm -hmm. no whining, no doing that, she probably wasn't really allowed to show too much, so she's used to suppressing I and guess what I'm be, saying. Yes. Yes. And it's just one of those things. And then her husband, Joe Tinning, um, also had difficulty expressing his grief. Uh, he was raised in a Protestant family where life's disasters were seen as the will of the almighty. Mm. And so one day they would be explained. In the meantime, they were just to be accepted. So in the face of tragedy, Joe was always stone faced and withdrawn. So like he was physically present, but even he was not emotionally didn't we just do a case where the people were Protestant also? Yeah, but that was back in like the 1800s. Uh, no, what because was the guy was gay. Oh, yeah, that was that was the dude in Sweden who like okay. was the serial confessor. All right. Yep. Okay. Um, at Jennifer's funeral, friends and relatives made the usual soothing remarks about how much the couple's other two children, little Barbara and Joey, would be a comfort to the two parents, though. These were more than just the typical overused condolences. Like, you know, you hear those typical ones, like, oh, this look at that, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they were genuine. Okay. Um, although some neighbors thought of Mary Beth as strange, all of them believed her to be a good mother who truly loved her children. And with their light blonde hair, good looks, and intelligence, the other two children were ones to be proud of. So, I mean, up until that point, they considered her to be a good mother. Because mm-hmm. at this point, she has two other children. One who's almost five and the other one who's almost two. So, that's, that, that, was, yeah. that, this is, that was the beginning. That was the first child that she lost. So, then we go on to Joseph, her son who was born January 10th of 1970. And he passed away January 20th of 1972, two years old. Now, 
after her neighbors were saying, like, you know, she was a little strange, but she was a good mother. But it was a tremendous shock. The Second Avenue neighbors went only 17 days. After Jennifer's death, Joey suddenly died on January 20th. So 17 days after Jennifer died. Oh my gosh. He did. Mary Beth said that Joey suffocated because he got tangled up in his sheet. Sid, you usually, that happens when your baby is. That's what a neighbor later disputed this saying that a two-year-old does not tangle in the sheets. No. Um, Joey had never had anything wrong with him except for like a runny nose or something. But apparently he was suddenly stricken too. Then this was Mary Beth's story. Um, like that's like the end of it is that he got tangled in the sheets, but there was some more that came before that. Um, he was suddenly stricken by unexplainable symptoms, which rapidly became fatal. He was reported to have had seizures when he was at home with Mary Beth. Shaking baby syndrome. I don't know. Maybe. But either way, like, he supposedly had seizures, and she took him to Ellis Hospital's emergency room twice, avoiding St. Clair's, where Jennifer died, although it was closer to where she lived. And the second visit that she took him, he was past the point of being able to be saved. Um, Joey became ill during the week of his second birthday. Mary Beth took him to Ellis Hospital with a story that he had had the seizure and choked on his own vomit. He was kept under observation in the children's ward for a few days, but nothing was wrong with him. They didn't find anything wrong with him. Only a few hours after he was sent home, Mary Beth brought him back to Ellis's emergency room, and he was deceased. She said he, he had complained about feeling sleepy, which I have an issue with anyways, too. Uh-huh. So she had put him down for a nap. When she went to check on him, she found he had turned blue and was tangled in his sheets. These were the same words she would use 14 years later to describe the fatal condition in which she found Tammy Lynn, her last child. Doctors at Ellis Hospital speculated that Joy might have had Ray's syndrome, which I'll get to later. Okay. But avoiding a positive diagnosis on it, because they just weren't sure, they recorded the cause of death as cardiorespiratory arrest, which simply meant he stopped breathing. Yeah. And there was no autopsy done on him. And she took him out of the home. Like, usually the police come and they yeah, do she, that. Yeah, she, br- she brings him back to the hospital and he's already passed away. Right. And so that should have yeah. been a red flag. Yeah. Well, but at this time, like, it's only been two children. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I mean, like, but like, I suppose, like, it's one of those things where, if, as a parent, like, if you're in a panic state and you're fairly close to a hospital, you might just rush get him in the hospital. Okay. Yeah. And so he had died on January 20th, 1972, at two years old. And before we go on to her next child, we're going to take a pee pee break. A double pee. Popcorn. Popcorn and pee. Popcorn and pee. We'll be right back. And we are back. Hope you guys had a nice break because so I know of near yeah, you're gonna have needed it. You're gonna have needed it. <laughs> um because next year you're going to talk about Barbara. 
who was born May 31st, 1967, and passed away March 2nd, 1972, at about four and a half years old. Um, so less than six weeks after Joey died, Barbara suddenly died. Hmm. So Joey died 17 days after Jennifer, and now Barbara suddenly dies six weeks after Joey. Oh, wow. Like, these are like boom, boom, boomity, boom, boom. Yes. So Barbara, who lived the longest of any of the children, was so suddenly stricken by Ray's syndrome, they said, that beyond mm. a feverish cold, there was no hint of it when Mary Beth tucked her into bed one winter evening. According to Mary Beth, the last thing Barbara said, and mind you, this is according to Mary Beth, who we have already said makes up. Shit. Wild fan school tales sometimes. Right. Um, the last thing Barbara said was, Mommy, tonight I'm going to see my brother in heaven. Referring to her two-year-old brother, Joseph, who had died only six weeks earlier. So according to Mary Beth, this is what her daughter, or her <laughs> daughter said. On that evening of March, after allegedly telling her mother that she would soon see her little brother, Barbara was also stricken. Again, Mary Beth rushed to Ellis' emergency room, and she related that shortly after being put to bed, Barbara had developed labored breathing and gone into convulsions. <sighs> Mary Beth was urged to leave the child in the hospital overnight, but she insisted on taking her home. Later that evening, she brought Barbara back to the emergency room unconscious. Barbara was resuscitated and put in the ICU where she remained in a coma and died the following day. Her death was not reported to the medical examiner, but there was a hospital autopsy done. However, Mary Beth's story changes slightly later on when she's kind of questioned about it. Um, during the trials for the murders later, she described what happened in to Barbara in the following fashion. Um, one night when she was almost five years old, Barbara had a convulsion. Mary Beth took her to Ellis Hospital's emergency room, where she says then, later on, they gave me a choice. I could either leave her there, nothing could be done until morning, or I could take her home and watch her and bring her to the doctors the next day, which I decided to do. Then we went home and I kept going back and forth, back and forth. And she went into another convulsion and we took her or the ambulance took her and she died at about 420 or so the following day. So her story has changed. I mean, she went back and forth, back and forth. I don't know if she meant back and forth, back and forth, like trying to figure out, like trying to decide whether to take her, oh, take okay. her. but either way that, that that's different than what, had happened because the ambulance didn't take her yeah because they said that like they urged her to leave her there overnight and mary beth said no mm -hmm. and then later that evening she is the one that brought her back in so she can't she's already can't keep her story straight like 14 years later you think you'd remember that stuff though right like it wasn't an ambulance it was you bitch pretty much um what did the autopsy we'll get there okay um so no connection at this time had been made between these, like the two similar and mysterious deaths of um, Joey and Barbara, nor did the Ellis hospital authorities appear to have noted their proximity to the loss of Jennifer. 
if indeed they knew about her death as they were a different hospital. So they might not have even put those things together. The fact that like Jennifer died and then Joe and then Barbara, that whole thing. Right. Um, Because of the evidence that Barbara had been feverish as well as having convulsions, it was concluded that she had died from Ray's syndrome. At that time, medical knowledge of the syndrome was really sketchy. Like, it was a newer one, so they didn't really know. What the fuck is Ray's? You're going to tell me? Okay. (laughs) Ray's syndrome used to be a rare disease of childhood, childhood, which flared into an epidemic in the 1970s, early 1970s. It was always serious and often fatal. Symptoms appear when a child already has a viral infection. The body temperature soars and there is inflammation of the liver and brain, which can cause vomiting, seizures, and wild irrational behavior. And that can lead to death. Um, Research later on found that Ray's syndrome could be triggered by the administration of aspirin to a child who already has a high fever. A discovery which caused pediatricians across the country to warn parents against the use of baby aspirin. That virtually ended the epidemic. Like when they stopped doing that. However... It was at the height of this epidemic of it when doctors concluded that Ray's syndrome was responsible for the death of Barbara Tinning at the age of four and a half and basically of her little brother, Joey, when he was two. Because they were going kind of back and forth about whether or not to like say that that's what he had died of. Yeah. Um, 14 years later, mind you, doctors on the Tinning Task Force, actually the Task Force, And the forensic team took another look at the medical records of Barbara and Joey and came up with a different possibility. Mm. They thought that neither child's symptoms were what has since been defined as classic rays and that they both could have been suffocated. Because, like I said, there wasn't much known about rays syndrome at the time when they died. So their symptoms kind of matched it. So... My question is, like, so she fabricated a story when she brought them in the first time? Yes. So there was nothing wrong with the kids when they brought them in the first time? Well, there was something wrong, but, I mean... Like, what the fuck did she do to her kids? I don't know. To make them appear... Sick. Well, I mean, like, Barbara and stuff had a fever anyway, so it says that, like, um, if they had been suffocated, like... There would have been a struggle from a child of Barbara's age, obviously. One of the team's medical experts speculated she may have been mildly ill to begin with, probably with something like a feverish cold. If there was an attempt to smother her, even a sick child of that age would not die quietly. She would have fought back and gained some consciousness. And if the attempt continued, she would have had anoxic convulsions and then gone into a coma. Joey's death could have followed a similar pattern. So chances are they both had some kind of like a cold that had a little bit of a fever. And if she did suffocate them, they would have gone into convulsions, just like she said. Mm-hmm. And those all mimic those symptoms of rage. And because she know. worked in a nursing place. At one time, yes. At one time. So she half suffocated her kids to make them go through some shit. Yeah. Took probably. them to the fucking hospital, mm-hmm. brought them home and finished the fucking job. Yeah. What a fucking cunt. Yeah. So, like I said, that's stuff starts to, yeah. Um, and mind you, this, this, what I'm saying now is all stuff that they are looking at 14 years later, like when they have her, like in custody and stuff. 
But she said, could you imagine being a kid? Like, why the fuck is my mom doing this to me? Yeah. Well, and that's why they said, like, Barbara probably would have fought back a little bit. Because, I mean, she's at four and a half. Yeah. Like, she's going to. Where's the husband during all this shit? I don't know. At work? At night? He didn't really say. Okay. Or sleeping? I don't know. I'm surprised she didn't fucking kill him. I'm kind of, like, in a... Um, mm. we'll get to that. Okay. There might or might not have been an attempt to. Wow. Yeah. That comes later. <laughs> so Ellis Hospital's mm. chief pathologist, Dr. Thomas Oram, pulled Barbara's history report out of his department's file and looked at it in light of the possibility of being smothered. So mind you, this is 14 years down the road. Um, he observed at the autopsy of Barbara, we found fatty changes in the liver and an inflammation of the brain. These changes seem consistent with what we knew about Ray's syndrome at that time. But we now know that these changes in Ray's, the changes in Ray's are somewhat different than those found in Barbara. When she died, no one thought of suffocation as the possibility. We now know that anoxia, and I'm not really sure what that means. I tried to look it up. But anoxia caused by suffocation will produce a fatty liver. We did not know that then. We knew that Ray's syndrome starts with nausea and vomiting, followed by convulsions, liver failure, coma, and death. And in our ignorance of this new disease, we thought that's what we saw in Barbara. So it mimicked the same things they knew about Ray's syndrome at that time, like the fatty liver, the inflammation of the brain, when really those are also caused by suffocation which they did not know was there any bruising like usually with suffocation like there's bruising not on like children that small that what okay so what i know of Mm -hmm. like it is from children that small like adults when you suffocate you don't but with kids you're in such a, a close proximity when you i and i it's could because, be wrong um, but like I think they get into it later, but it's because their airways and everything are so small. It does not take as long to suffocate a child. So the less time it takes you to like hold something over their face, like the less bruising is going to occur. Okay. It's, it's that type of thing. Like with an adult, like if you put a pillow over their face, it takes like five or six minutes and they're going to be fighting and everything else. Right. You know, smaller children, it's just not, it's just not, um, so and another another unusual finding stood out. Um, with most of the children, like they had a high level of blood ammonia, I guess. Measured, um, it's called hyper ammonium hyperammoniamemia. I, I don't know. But <laughs> it is usually a complication of liver disease and it can cause convulsions and kill a patient, but it is really rare in I, infants. How do, how do you get that? I'm not exactly sure, but they thought that it could have been. Um, anyway, so it said like both Barbara and Joey were reported to have seizures, but they were only seen by Mary Beth. In the emergency room, they also had elevated levels of blood ammonia. This combination also led to the diagnosis of Ray's syndrome in Barbara's case at the time of death. In Joey's case, informally as an afterthought, because nothing else seemed to fit, that's what they concluded. When Dr. Neely, who's another one, looked back at their records several years later, much more was known about Ray's syndrome. Convulsions and hyper 
ammonia are part of it, but children with rays have other marked symptoms, which were not seen in either Barbara or Joey. So whatever had afflicted them was somehow different. Um, later on, I think they go into like some of the other children also had those elevated love levels, and that could just be like a genetic anomaly, but it doesn't usually cause death. Or it but could be like a fear-based something, like well, chemicals get distributed to your body when you're in fear, panic. Yeah, but I'm not, I don't think it was that. I think it was just, I'm not even sure what it means. But they, but at that time, back when they had died, they associated that with race syndrome. And uh, it wasn't until later on they realized that it wasn't part of it. High elevations of ammonia, what? It just says elevated levels of blood ammonia. Okay. But like I said, um, they, uh, the children that usually had Ray's syndrome had other marked symptoms, which were not seen in either one of them. So whatever had afflicted them was different mm. somehow. However, 14 years later, Mary Beth remained adamant in her insistence that she had done nothing to harm Joey or Barbara. Mm. Right after Barbara's death, the third death within two months. Three children died in two months. There was a great deal of gossip among the Tinnings Mount Pleasant neighbors. Some of them wondered if the children had been given poison. Her story didn't sound right to me, one woman said. I saw two normal children who had never been sick rushed to the hospital almost dead. I saw Barbara playing in the backyard only a few days before she died, and she looked fine. The children were buried alongside Jennifer and Mary Beth's father. And Mary Beth was dry-eyed at their funerals, despite open caskets. Hmm? Again, the neighbors commented to one another, I don't know how anyone can bury children that small and not shed a tear, one woman remarked. If it were mine, or if they were mine, someone would have to put me away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When Easter came... A month after Barbara's death and two and a half months after Joey's, Mary Beth related a strange story. Now, this is another Mary Beth story, so take it with a grain of salt. Right. She told relatives that she found Easter gift baskets on her porch left by neighbors for the two dead children. <laughs> I did not believe it, Mary Beth's sister-in-law, Carol, said flatly. In other words, she didn't believe the story. Mm -mm. Others wondered because... If the neighbors were unaware of the deaths, this was merely a misplaced act of kindness. But all the neighbors knew. So it seemed kind of cruel and insensitive. So did the incident happen only in Mary Beth's troubled mind? Or were distressed neighbors trying to convey to her their suspicions? Ooh. Like, we know what you did. Aww. Here's a reminder. So. When Jennifer died, the signs were not, and these signs were not apparent until many years later, but after Jennifer died, signs began to show, like the craving for attention, mm -hmm. um, the ways in which Mary Beth invited it by the first of many staged funerals, they all seem staged, right? Mm-hmm. And when that attention diminished, the renewed attempts at motherhood Real by proxy or pretend. So she would either actually have a child or there's the adopted child later or she would just pretend to be pregnant. 
Oh, God. She wanted attention. And between babies, there were extreme changes in, like, her appearance. One time, she shaved off her eyebrows and then each day, like, drew them back on in weird ways for attention. Oh, wow. Or she'd come into work with, like, orange hair or blonde hair or strawberry blonde hair, um, turning everyday events into melodrama, the telling of incredible stories in which she was the heroine or the victim, the longing to be loved, admired, pitied, or at least noticed. So if the attention was not on the fact that she's lost a child, she made it something else. Oh, wow. Um, at no time did the people close to her truly understand. They lacked the insight to empathize with her emotional needs or to challenge her lies. In all the little ways they tried to help her, they usually did the wrong thing for the right reason. When she tried to look dramatic, they told her she looked silly. Or they left her alone, thinking that if her problems were ignored, they would go away. Her husband, however, was in fact the one that told them to leave her alone when they expressed their concern to him about it. And he was like, well, if you just ignore it, it'll go away. Oh, she's just seeking attention, so just... Yeah, so we're just going to ignore these emotional problems, even though... Yeah. Right. So yet... Mary Beth, at the same time, constantly invited these negative reactions by choosing inappropriate ways of drawing attention to herself, mm-hmm. like eyebrows. That must have been embarrassing for him. Can you imagine I, this? I your just, wife is fucking nuts. I just think that he, I don't even know. But, like, it was to the point where she worked as a waitress and the customer started to refer her, referring to her as the one with the eyebrows. Oh, shit. For lack of eyebrows. Um, later, individually and collectively, everyone who researched the deaths of the Tinian babies, police, doctors, investigators, and the district attorney's office came to the same conclusion, that Jennifer's death changed Mary Beth irrevocably. This baby's failure to survive was the beginning of the catalog of nine infant deaths, all of them in unusual circumstances. However, not until the ninth death did any of the experts put, like, the mystery of it all together. Like, uh, they didn't look at all of the baby's medical records for common factors Mm -hmm. until, like, that point. Um, Only then did they also look at the personality of Mary Beth and the way that she reacted to the repeated deaths. Wow. When they finally did this, the pattern began to emerge and it began right after Jennifer's death, which was different from all the others. Her death, the first of the nine seemed to be the catalyst for all the questionable deaths was followed. Cause remember hers was the only one that yeah. was not at all caused by. Yeah. Um, a doctor named Baden said that whatever happened to that baby, there was a great outpouring of sympathy for Mary Beth Tinning. As we talked about it among the members of the forensic unit, the thought came up that she may have become a sympathy junkie. This would have given her an identity, made her feel important. A Dr. Beckwith had another theory about the effect of Jennifer's death. He was reminded of two other mothers he had known, both of whom reacted to the natural death of an infant by attempting to suffocate later babies born to them. In some cases, the mind can be so shell-shocked by that first loss 
that it becomes totally focused on it. And there seems to be a need to work through the grief by recreating the experience. It is though the mother is trying to punish herself over and over for the first baby's death. So those are like kind of the two theories that are going off of like she's either seeking attention or she's somehow punishing herself. She's fucking crazy nonetheless. Well, yeah, pretty much. Um, it was soon reason that the balance of Mary Beth's mind became disturbed by Jennifer's unexpected death. And that when later children were born, she tried to resolve her feelings about the tragedy by reliving it. Reliving it. In any event, back in 1972, shortly after Easter, Mary Beth and Joe moved away from Mount Pleasant. So this is like right after like the two and a half months after her kids had died. They moved away from Mount Pleasant and rented the ground floor apartment in a house on Cleveland Avenue in the Bellevue section of Schenectady. Schenectady? Yeah, that place. (laughs) This is only a mile from their last home, but it was a fresh start in a neighborhood where they were not known. At this point, Mary Beth was just shy of 30 years old and her husband Joe was around 28. And like, I always like, I keep forgetting throughout this whole thing, like, she's only 30 at this like younger than us i can't even like Mm-mm. imagine um anyway they had barely settled in when for the first time they came to the attention of connectedies department of social services the contact was made by mary beth on july 3rd 1972 four months after barbara's death she telephoned the department to say that she would like to be a foster mother. And that's what I'm Indian. Okay. She- and we'll get into the rest of that. So after she had just lost three children. She wants to be a fucking foster mom. Four months after losing the last one. She calls and says she wants to be a foster mother. That's great. So I um, want to kill the lady, but I looked up this ammonia thing. Okay. It says ammonia is a waste product that is normally processed in your liver and removed through your urine. Sometimes ammonia can build up in your blood, which can be very dangerous. Serious conditions can cause high ammonia levels in your blood, including liver disease, kidney failure, um, and certain congestional conditions and like when it goes down that race syndrome is in there i what what i'm trying to look up is can you force that can you take something to because they said that like um suffocation causes a fatty liver and the inflammation of the brain which could cause the ammonia in the blood (sighs) okay that makes sense because it says like it said in there that like the liver whatever could cause that ammonia to build up so they didn't do testing like for the blood or anything before she took the kid home if they did i i don't think they did on the first two because they didn't have a reason to i think they tested it maybe afterwards like during whatever okay but not beforehand i think they do on later ones so suffocation does the I mean, fatty it, tissues I, and that well, yeah, does an it, overload of ammonia? I think so. Okay. That, I think that that's, so that's the reason that I could think of. I'm not a doctor, okay. 
but that's what I'm thinking because like they said they found in Barbara's autopsy that was done that she had a fatty liver and like the um, inflamed inflammation of the brain which they thought was contributed by the Ray's syndrome but is also they found later on like in years later when they had more information about suffocation that is also signs of suffocation hey, okay so that's one of those things all right. But anyway, that's the end of part two. That was a good one. No, it's a really sad one because it I is. feel like whatever she was doing, she was torturing her kids. And I couldn't imagine like, mommy, why are you like attacking? Yeah. Me? And um, I'd like to say that it gets better, but it doesn't because that's only three kids. There's six more. Right. I feel like right at this point, um, why the fuck didn't her husband just beat the shit out of her? Right. Like on some next level, because I am not about he, men touching women, but I, he's because he doesn't know what's going on because right he's a now. fucking pussy. Well, and I don't think at this point, I mean, people are like semi suspecting, but they're not really sick. Like they're feeling more sorry for her right now. Like yeah. later as stuff progresses, we will see people like starting to get pissed off every time she gets pregnant. If I was that, I would stop having sex with her. He was, she was probably raping his ass. I hate using that word. And he's like, she's like extremely fertile, unfortunately, too. And, uh, and I don't want to get too much into it because like it has to do with like the story and how it goes on. But like there's different things that, that she claims that her tube's tied and then all of a sudden winds up pregnant. And there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, but anyway, that's for the next part. And the next part will probably get in. I mean, I'm kind of doing this child by child mm-hmm. because that's the easiest way to do this in like kind of a chronological order. And as each child goes by, then there's more information that's brought about her and her life and what's going on with her and her husband and the times that they it's move and like everything else like that. Um, again, wow. our email is nocturnaldistractions at gmail.com. Our Twitter, Twitter is <laughs> Twitter, Twitter. It's either Nocturne. Nocturne underscore podcast or podcast underscore Nocturne because I cannot roll the dice and see what comes that. up. It's all listed under the link, the link, the links. Like I've got, there'll be a link at the bottom. It, it'll probably say like a link to all the things <laughs> and it'll take you to it or a website will too. Um, we've got, and our- I want to say, if your friend or somebody you know had a baby and they're just not acting normal, please be watching them. Please yeah. make note and check on her often yeah. because this is the thing. Like I had postpartum, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to kill my kid. I wanted to kill anybody who came near my kid, right? I guess there's two different kinds. Like I was so obsessed with my child. Well, there's Logan, there's like, that, like postpartum psychosis, is you know, like. I just, I didn't want anybody else bathing yeah. him, touching him, doing anything. I had to do it myself. Yeah. And there's, and there's certain aspects of that that happened with her later on. And that's, that's part of like what also comes into like everything. But at this time, like I said, it's in the seventies. They, they don't know a lot about it. They kind of ignore it mm-hmm. and that type of a thing. So like this stuff, and they also went through this whole thing where like, some parents who have like a child that dies like the hospitals didn't 
sit there and question them because it's the grieving parents. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a thing. But now that we know more about child abuse and how things can happen, they're a lot more assertive in their questioning. It's like an unspeakable thing. Nobody thinks like, oh, my God. Well, yeah, especially back then. But nowadays, like it's a little more like like this kind of stuff, like those like three kids dying in that close proximity. They're going to look at the. The, the second two. The first one it was obvious that like that was a natural one. But in today's day and age, yeah. Those other two would have been looked at a mm-hmm. lot closer. You know, my mom when so my mom was pregnant before me and she had the German measles mm-hmm. and um she she had to abort mm-hmm. the pregnancy because the baby was gonna be I don't know why I'm telling you this, but the, like limbs missing and arms yeah, and things like, like it that would like unviable outside of right so between like early 70s and 80s like i don't know what the fuck was happening with us and what we were ingesting but people were getting really fucked up in their pregnancies there's a lot of i like, think it was sh- just there wasn't the knowledge like the medical knowledge <gasps> well no i mean well then that would have been happening previously like okay so a folic no. acid all of it we've always parents have always moms have always produced this yeah. right you need it it helps with the spine but like in the 80s in 70s and 80s there was a lack thereof that's why we have to take a folic acid and we have to take it in pills because our bodies are not producing it anymore uh, and that could just be due the food to and food all blah blah and environmental yeah. things I don't really know. None of that has to do with this case. I'm just, I'm, I'm realizing the older I get and when I meet people and I talk, mm-hmm. like between the, the early 70s and 80s, like we were doing something. Like let's, let's look, we, let's face it. Between the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of shit going on in general. <laughs> you had a lot of people killing each other. You had a lot of crime. You had a lot of just, there was just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. There was a lot of fucking. There was a lot, a lot of. Yeah, we'll just leave my theories in my head, but I'm pretty sure the entire fucking United States of the fucking world was under experimentation by whatever fucking government they were under. You know what I'm saying? Probably. But that's something for another episode. If you want to learn more about the fucked up United States of America history, go check out Bailey Sarian's Dark History, and you will learn a lot more than you ever wanted to know. Trust me. You should. Kendra says Kendra's likes her bubble, and it's been popped. What? Your your what your bubble? your bubble of happy utopia. But I love. just told you, like I, I there's dark history out there. I, I know this. that, but you, Kendra, not before Bailey. Did you really want to like? I well, you knew it, but you just didn't. And then you started listening to this Bailey chick, and like things started those, to okay. pop. It's more, along, it's more along one of those things that it's stuff we're not taught. Yeah, it's not saying that it's a bad thing, yeah. you know, but like... Look, I like to live my life in complete naivety if that's what it means to, like, completely keep me from, like... The insanity hating, of the hating truth. Hating literally everybody mm-hmm. in the world because that's just not in my genetic Makeup. body to hate that much. She's an optimist? I just... I don't... That's okay. I don't hate... Oh, I dislike, but I don't hate. And you don't go to worst case scenarios. I no. used to be like that. I try not to just because it's a really, really it's terrible pointless. place for me to be. Right. It is. That's why I feel like hate and anger are just pointless emotions. Now, mind you, like a case like I'm talking about, does it get me angry? Of course it does. Right. Well, I'm, I'm human. 
Mm. But I don't know. Oh I don't let it consume me. Yeah, because me? if I did, <laughs> like I you'd be April walking well, I, I would have stopped watching true crime shit a long time ago, right? And listening to it, but I haven't because I have a fascination with trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with people. Yeah, just like anybody else who does true crime, like we're the least violent people you'll know. Right. Why? Because we know the atrocities that are out there. Right. But I think that we've gone off on a tangent long enough. Yeah. Why? Because it's three o'clock in the morning. And I love you guys. And so we're going to sign off for the night. And we love you. And I have no idea what April's going to do next week. We I'm going have- gonna, gonna, gonna to have you put your uh, since shit in a hat. And then I'm going to reach in and I'm going to pull it out. All right. That works too. We all know what I'm going to be talking about. Yeah. We're going to go on to part three of Mary Beth here. And then. And then part four, five, six, 83. And in between, we're going to have hat episodes is what we're going to call them. Hat episodes. It'll be a surprise. It'll be April surprises from here on out. Because I think we have found that when we tell people what we're going to do, unless it's a multi-parter like this, we wind up changing it the last minute. Right. You want to know what else I'm finding? Like. I can't give a speech in front of a crowd. Like I get social anxiety and I start, I think I do that with these because before I go to do a podcast, like I've got my shit, my poop in a group. Right. And then the button goes on and all of a sudden I'm like, you know what I mean? I get all nervous and anxious and then I don't know. Really? I'm the opposite. I know. Because I wouldn't have been able to talk this long on any subject at all ever. Live in person? No. Or write papers that are like as long as my notes on this stuff. You know, I just. But I think like it's that. because I'm not in front of an audience. I don't. I I I have a way of pretending that it's just me and you talking, and there's no audience. See, sometimes I'm okay. Just pretend okay. not. I try, but it's like when I first start, like I get all like pumped, and I don't know. It all just goes away. It's like when I go to take a test. I'll know what the fuck I'm talking well, about. You give I mean. me a test, and I'm like, <laughs> it's not a test. There's nobody looking at you. Well, they're listening to you now. But- Somebody looking at you. You're looking at me with your hair like that. You better turn this shit off or we're just gonna go on. All right. Good night. Good night, guys. Love you. <laughs>